Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have the general manager of Flippa, Nick Ken. And Flippa is actually a website that helps you sell and you know you can even buy uh, web businesses as well. So, Nick, how are you doing today? Very good, thanks. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. So, you know, first of all, why don't we go? Why don't we go through your background really quick? Sure. So, I guess I'm a marketer by trade. So, I've always worked in various marketing or commercial type roles for agencies and and uh, businesses as well. So, client side. More recently, I've been running. Before running Flipper.com, I was running a business called SitePoint.com, which mm. is actually the parent company to Flipper, and also another business in the same group of companies called Learnable.com. Um, those two businesses are focused on educating web developers. So I was the general manager of those two businesses. Prior to that, I was um, the head of customer acquisition for a business called Betfair, which is a, um, a global betting exchange nice. um, based here in Australia and in the UK. So I, I'm, I'm now in Australia. I used to work in the UK, but I came across here with that company, Betfair. So I was responsible for acquiring their customers. Um, and various other marketing roles before that. So that's that's a brief history of my of my time. Yeah, thanks thanks for that. So it, it's really interesting. You're you're the head of user acquisition for a huge gambling company, and then all of a sudden you become a general manager. You know, walk us through that transition. Yeah, so I guess I've been in the betting and gaming space for for quite some time, about six or seven years, and um, it given me a huge amount of experience. Um, as you probably know, and most of your audience know, the kind of they talk about the, the three P's, porn, pills, and poker, as being the kind of <laughs> the, pioneer, the pioneers. That's the fourth P of, of, of the internet, really. So things that happen in those three P's tend to kind of filter down to the other industries over time. And so some of the stuff we were doing, and Betfair is totally legal in, in the countries in, in Australia, in the UK, and in, in all of Europe as well. Um, so, so not doing anything illegal, just clarify that. Um, we actually own a business in the US as well. But um, Betfair was all about kind of, for me, it was all about marketing and acquiring customers. And um, it had some huge success. So I launched the brand in Australia. So it didn't exist before 2008. And when I came down here, we just got a license to operate in Australia. And uh, my, my brief was to really launch the brand and grow customers and, and acquire market share. So we by the time I left, I think we'd, we'd grown about sort of 10, 15% market share. There's one, there's one monopoly in Australia that runs, that had all the, all the betting and gaming. And now, now there's a, a half a dozen or so betting companies down here. But um, why did I move across to SitePoint? I guess I've always been passionate about online businesses. And I, we're based in Melbourne here in Australia. And, and uh, I started looking around for sort of smaller businesses. So Betfair has 2,000 employees. It's a big, big company. And uh, I was looking for something a bit smaller where I could take, a, take more of an ownership role. And uh, SitePoint came along. SitePoint's based in Melbourne, but it has a global reach. It has three, three or four million unique visitors a month. It's a huge site. US traffic is huge. Um, so being based in Melbourne, but really being able to talk to the world with our, with our products, um, that really excited me. And, and I guess the group's really innovative. So we've, we've launched out of SitePoint a number of companies. You might have heard of 99designs. That, uh -huh. came, that came out of SitePoint um, wow. six or seven years ago. Flipper.com came out of SitePoint. So they're all, they're all sort of interrelated to the SitePoint audience, which originally was web designers and web developers. And SitePoint's been around since 98. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, one of the kind of original destinations for webmasters it actually used to be called webmaster resources and then it rebranded as SitePoint in 2000 so 
So it's been around a long time, a huge audience, and, and with a huge audience, I guess you can spot trends and, and opportunities in what that audience are doing. And some of the trends that we spotted over time were people were asking other, other members of the SitePoint community to design them logos for their businesses. And we spun that out into a business called 99designs. And then a few years later, we spotted people in the SitePoint forums and, and marketplace with we're buying and selling websites between each other. So we decided to create a new business, which we now call Flipper.com. So Flipper's been going for about five years. And, and similarly with Learnable, um, Learnable is a subscription business for web designers and developers to learn their trade. They subscribe to watch um, online tutorials and, and download eBooks about CSS, HTML, Ruby on Rails, whatever it happens to be. So they're all kind of interconnected to this, this huge audience that SitePoint had originally. Okay, awesome. You know, I'm, I'm very. It's funny. We we're we're kind of interlaced. And I, I used to play a ton of online poker, and then I was the head okay. of growth at Treehouse, which was kind of a yeah. kind of a competitor. Yeah. They never let me buy ads. I'm like, come on, man, <laughs> let me buy some ads. But um, yeah, no, it, it's cool. Um, so, you know, I guess let, let's not talk too much about the the gambling part. But you know, as an online marketer, it's really tough to do online marketing when it comes to gambling. So, I mean, is there one key takeaway you can share with someone that perhaps? is trying to grow like a gambling business online? Uh, I, I don't think anything I can say now is probably going to be groundbreaking. I guess some of the, some of the things that we were doing back in the day were, were um, really heavily focused on SEO. That was the, that was the core thing we were doing. And, and, it, and it was SEO focused on, on niche markets. So Australia is, Australia is, is a niche market. It has 22 million people. So <clears throat> it's easier to do things in, in order to rank here in Australia than it is in, in certainly in the UK and probably in the US as well. So mm. SEO was a big component. And paid search, I guess, where you can't do um, SEO, we obviously spent a lot of money on paid search. Um, but I guess with, with kind of niche gambling businesses or smaller businesses, you really do have to spend money because, because you're going up against the big guys who have a lot of money in their pockets. So we did a lot of brand building and partnerships associating with, with sports teams and uh, poker players and, and just trying to get the word out through those sort of things. So brand ambassadors was a big component of our strategy. So we used to sponsor, sponsor kind of uh, various football teams' websites and advertise at the games on the big screen where it displays the score. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, all sorts of tricks and tactics. But I guess one of the things I would say is that the more, um, it may sound obvious, but the more targeted the advertising, the better it is. And I guess the example I would use is we used to display live odds in real time through our banners on, on various sites. So you would be cruising around a, a, soccer, a soccer website and you would see um, Man United are playing Arsenal right now. The score is 2-1 to Arsenal and the Betfair odds are whatever they happen to be at that precise uh, moment. So really capture people at that precise moment. And, and, and that was a, a really, really successful tactic, having contextual messaging at the right time on the right markets. Okay, that's awesome. I, I think that's something people can still take away today. Uh, you know, it's something I think people need to be reminded about. So, you know, thanks for that. So I guess, you know, let's talk about Flipper today. I mean, you know, how many... You know, Flipper obviously the, the the number one um, no, number one marketplace for buying and, and selling websites. You know, what, what did you say market share was that today? It's about seventy percent. Seventy percent. Yeah, so yeah, so we don't have any um, major competitors, which is quite an interesting position to be in. There are 
There are website brokers which really handle the top end of the market, and there really are, are the other 30%, I suppose. And, and there's a few forums where you can buy and sell websites as well. But really, we're the only destination where you can, you can have a safe and secure experience. You can, you can trust that you're going to find buyers and sellers alike. We have a huge audience. We have half a million registered users on Flipper. So wow. it, it's, it's a big opportunity. If you've got something to sell or you're looking for something to buy, you're almost certainly going to find it on Flipper. Um, it means we have a hell of a lot of listings. So typically we're selling about 2,000 2, items a, a month, and that's mainly oh. websites, but more recently domain names and, and apps as well. So you can buy and sell apps through, through Flipper. I guess one of the questions people often ask me is, why, why on earth would you want to buy or sell a website? And it's really... It's really just about making money. So these are web businesses primarily. Mm-hmm. So people buy them because they can see an opportunity to take something that someone's already done the, done the groundwork. They've got a domain. They've got a site. It may be getting some traffic. Maybe there is some advertising on it, but you spot an opportunity. If you're a marketer like me, you can see, right, maybe these guys don't have an email database. I could start capturing email and then sell additional products or services. Or maybe they're not running advertising on the site already. And that's an opportunity to further add revenue to it and, and uh, maximize the potential of the site. So people are buying these sites to make money. And uh, yeah, typically there's thousands of these sites being sold on Flipper every month. Okay, got it. So if I want to sell my site, all I need to do is go to Flippa, sign up for an account, and then start entering in information, right? It's as simple as that. Absolutely. It will probably take you about three or four minutes to get, to get something live. The more information you... Uh, post up the better so the revenue information we actually can check your google analytics for you so you just give us access to your account it's all automated and we'll go in and grab all the data so you can showcase how much traffic you've got where it's from bounce rate and all that sort of thing which is really what buyers are looking for they're looking to do their homework before they buy and and we help you do all of that stuff so it's pretty pretty straightforward so jump on there have a look okay on the flip side if on the flip side excuse the pun if you're looking to buy (laughs) Uh, on the home page, there's a big Get Started button. It'll guide you through a series of questions. What are you looking for? Is it an AdSense site? Is it a, are you looking for a WordPress site? Um, what niches? Are you interested in pets or cars or what it, whatever it happens to be? And then here's some relevant sites that, or, or domains or apps that you might be interested in. Okay, great. And has there any, I mean, you know, out of curiosity, has there been any, any cases where people have scammed, you know, other, someone else like, hey, I'm going to sell you this. I take your money. Oh, hey, I'm not going to give you the site. So, so we make sure that we offer escrow, which hopefully your guys, your, your audience are familiar with. So what it means is that if you're selling a website or buying a website, you put your assets and your money into a third party, an escrow service, and then the buyer can check that, that it is what the seller has said it is and before, before the money gets released to the seller. So you basically have an opportunity to verify everything is true that, that the seller has said. So so, so that's, that's one thing that's really important to be aware of. If you use the escrow service, um, then, there's a, then there's no risk to you. You're, you're able to view absolutely everything um, before you actually transfer the money. So the second thing is around doing your due diligence. So we provide you a number of tools on the site. Um, I mentioned the Google Analytics. You can look at how the traffic's been over time. You can look at the revenue information. We can also go into your AdSense account and, and pull out um, all your AdSense data just to verify that it is what, it, what you're saying it is. Um, some other tricks that people tend to use are doing kind of a live, live video 
walk around of their site and of their traffic information, their backend stats, which, which you can either post up or you can do it in real time. You can Skype, Skype the buyer and, and talk them through and show them in real time and the buyer can ask you to click on that button and this button to, just to prove it's not pre-recorded. And, and, and there's plenty of ways you can do your homework to make sure you're getting what, what you think you're getting. But, um, I guess doing your due diligence up front, make sure you, you know what you're buying, you read the description, you look at the data, you do your homework. And then you use some of the other methods I've suggested. Okay, got it. Okay. So, you know, backtracking a little bit, you know, something that's really interesting also as well, you know, you started out as a, as a marketer, like an internet marketer, and you've transitioned into learning operations, which is almost totally different. And, and that's something I, I've, I've had to learn to do as well. So what's one thing someone can do to transition from that, hey, I'm an internet marketer or marketer executive and go into operations? Yeah, so it's, it's a good question, I guess. I guess it's just having an open mind. I mean, I, I, I'll probably start off by describing what my role is. And I, I really divide it up into three things. And, and first and foremost, it's kind of setting the strategy for the business. Secondly, it's about putting the right people in the right roles in order to execute on that strategy. And thirdly, it's about managing the financial health of the business. So, so that gives you an idea of some of the things that I'm kind of doing on a day-to-day basis. But um, managing people and hiring people and um, it's probably the core component that takes up most of my time. That there's a, we have a team of 20 people here at Flipper, and we're spread across the world. So we have people in, in the US, in Europe, and here in Australia as well. So, so managing teams and learning, learning how, to, how to hire people is one of the skills that's, that I'd highly recommend um, to your audience. You kind of work on, read about. So what, one of the tips I'd have around that is, and it may sound very obvious once again, is if it's not an immediate yes, it's a no. So make sure you're hiring the best of the best because it's very easy to kind of accept accept someone who seems okay. They're not 100% perfect, but you're kind of desperate to fill a role mm-hmm. and, and that's not good enough. So just make sure you're hiring the best of the best. And if, if there's any questions in your mind when you're walking out of the interview, I'm not sure whether they're perfect on this, they're really good at this, but not sure about that, then then you've got to say no. Just make sure you're... you're there's no doubts in your mind before you're hiring people. Um, something else I'd to say about the transition is you have to keep an eye on everything. So, I mean, some people describe that as micromanaging. Other people just see it as having a bird's eye view of everything. But it's really important that, that as a general manager or operations manager, you do have a view of everything because things can easily get out of hand if you're not kind of keeping an eye. It doesn't have to be a close eye, but certainly an eye on on each part of the business and, and in this business we have kind of we have four core areas developers marketing operations and products and uh, and yeah it's important that you're regularly catching up with the people in that team and just keeping an eye on the numbers metrics we use a lot of dashboards around this place to keep an eye on different different KPIs around the business and uh, I think that's pretty handy Okay, and, you know, some people have said, you know, as as, you know, as a general manager or a CEO type person, you, you know, you're maybe twenty five percent of your time or a third of your time should be spent on continually interviewing people and, and you know focusing on hiring. Would you say that's true? Yeah, absolutely. I I spend I spend at least that amount of time, and it, I guess it goes through phases, right? Sometimes you're heavily recruiting, and you might spend one hundred percent of your time for for two weeks interviewing mm-hmm. and hiring and. I guess, I guess just to give you some stats on that sort of thing, from my experience, you tend to, when we put out a job ad, you may get between 30 and 50 applications of which, and I always tend to Skype interview first, just, just to save time for both parties. So 
um, I'll review those applications and I might, I might interview via Skype 10, 10 people and, and it's typically a 15 or 20 minute interview just, just to make sure we're both on the same page and they know what the job is and I know roughly what their background is and CVs aren't really useful anymore. You really have to talk to someone and mm-hmm. um, get inside the nuts and bolts of it and just make sure you're aligned in terms of, kind of salary expectations and so on. And then out of those 10, you're probably down to between three and five actually in-person interviews of which hopefully you hire one. So you can see there's quite a, going from 50 down to, or 30 down to one, it's, it's time consuming, but it ha- absolutely has to be done. It's kind of, it's one of the most important things you can do as, a, as an operations manager or a general manager or CEO is, is hire the right people, the best of the best. You know, what, that, that's, that's a really good point. And what I found was that, you know, I use something called ZipRecruiter. And then, you know, I just put up a job posting recently. 140 people applied for the job, right? But I, I said one very specific thing. In your, in your cover letter, and you have to write one, you have to write a very specific line in it. Yeah. Only 8% of the people of that 140, 150 people did that. So, you know, I, I think this kind of goes into what you're saying. you got to build a funnel where you can filter people out. And that's super important, you know. Yeah. It's a great tactic, and we, we've used exactly the same. Use this specific um, sentence in your subject line. Please don't send your CV now. You'd be surprised at how many people send their CV anyway, yep. or resume, as you guys say. But, um, yeah, those are great tricks for filtering out things like attention to detail. Yep, totally. Cool. So let's, let's talk about Flippa more. You know, you have, you have 500,000 registered people. I mean, how did you get to your first 1,000? Yeah, like I said earlier, we, we actually were born out of sight points, so we had oh. an easy start compared to other, other companies. Yep. But um, I guess um, we focused heavily on kind of on email marketing across, across all the companies in the group. So SitePoint has, a, has an email database. It, it's close to a million names, so it's a big, big database, and, and therefore it's, it's, uh, it consists of various different groups of people, including people who are interested in buying and selling websites. So it's quite, it's quite an easy start for this company. But... Um, because we're one of the first, first, or, or in fact the first company to actually offer this service to the general population, there were a few brokers around beforehand, but as, as, a, as a marketplace, we were the first. Um, we, we had a bit of a head start and people were talking about us. We got some PR and coverage and, and it became a name that people still, still kind of use today. It's Flipper is, is the destination for buying and selling websites. It's, it's the go-to place. People write books about us. People run conferences about us. Um, they know it's the place to go. So, so we actually had more of an easy start than, than perhaps some of your other audience would have. Okay. Got it. Cool. So, you know, what, what are, you know, when it comes to selling a website, I mean, you know, things change over time. So what are some interesting trends that you can share with the audience about, you know, buying and selling websites, especially in the last year or two? Yeah, I guess, I guess, um, aside from kind of the business trends, some of the things that I find most interesting are watching general, general internet trends come and go. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin was huge six, 12 months ago. We had a flood of, of sites, which were Bitcoin related and, and uh, 3D printing was another trend which everyone would, would know about but it kind of, you see these trends starting to bubble up on Flipper maybe a few months before they kind of make it into the mainstream news and people are, people uh-huh. are creating sites and buying the domain names ready because they've spotted an opportunity. So, so those sorts of things I find really interesting about Flipper, just looking for what's hot, what's coming up next. Um, in, terms of, in terms of platforms, I guess... I guess WordPress is, is the preeminent platform. So for buyers and sellers alike, it's just, it's just really easy to use. So um, a good two-thirds of the sites on Flipper would be WordPress um, 
it's just really easy for someone to pick up and start running with. So that, that's, that's grown and grown over time. I think, so, I, think I read 100,000 new WordPress sites are launched every single day. Wow. Some crazy stat like that. So you can imagine a lot of them then come onto the market on Flipper. Um, yeah, different ad- advertising or monetization methods. So you see affiliate networks come and go and advertising networks come and go. But I guess you're kind of safe in, in the hands of Google if you're using AdSense. You know that that's a stable stable network to use, um, which is why we, we actually offer the service to verify your AdSense, AdSense revenue. So um, just having a, having a look at what the networks are, that's quite an interesting, interesting uh, place to play in Flipper. So you can, you can actually go in there yourself and filter by different niches and monetization methods and see what's popular, how much those sites are selling for. Even if you're not interested in buying or selling websites, it just gives you a good indication of what the rest of the, the industry or the, the market is kind of interested in at this particular time. Okay, cool. And yeah, I, I used to use Flip a lot. I mean, you know, to your point, we're talking exactly about validation, you know, market validation. And, you know, maybe, maybe it gives some people some ideas as to what project they should be working on next and things like that. I know a lot of affiliates that have done that. Um, so in, in terms of in terms of valuation for for your website, I mean, how do you go about valuing your domain? Any tips you can share there with the audience? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a couple of tips for you in terms of the domain name. So we've actually got a valuation tool that we launched this year. So if you go to flipper.com and click on domains, there's something called appraisals, and it's a crowd-based tool. So you punch in your domain name and and a crowd of people. And remember, we've got half a million customers on our site, so a crowd will tell you what they think it's worth, and you'll hopefully get a range of opinions and and we'll show you what the median price is. And domain names are really, everything's quite difficult to value because there's this, this saying that kind of it, one man's trash is another man's treasure. If you're launching a business in a certain niche, then a, domain name's, a certain domain name is going to be more important to you than someone who's not in that niche. So, so you need to bear that in mind. So domain names is quite tricky, and that's why we launched the appraisal tool, to give you a, a range of opinions. Um, the, the other way you can evaluate domain names is obviously looking at the traffic that, that a particular keyword gets, if, if the domain contains a conti- uh, keyword, that is. With websites, it's, it's a bit easier because if the website's making money, you can use standard kind of business brokering uh, multiples, which are two or three years' worth of, of, of net profit at the kind of top end of town when you're talking five or six, six, six or even seven-figure deals. That, that's typically how how the website businesses are valued. But at the lower end, it really, once again, is what someone's prepared to pay for it. So maybe you're really into dogs, so you're willing to pay a premium for a dog site over and above actually what it's making or what the traffic is right now. So at the lower end, the, the, the multiples vary quite a lot. But at the higher end, it's sort of between the last valuations or, or report I ran, it was about 2.7 years was the typical valuation of a a six-figure web business. Um, so, so I guess there's a sliding scale, really. Um, domains are harder. iOS apps probably even harder still because the market's re- relatively new. So, um, you can go and sell or buy your iOS app on Flipper, and and it's it's a it's a virgin territory right now. We've only got about 70 apps, 80 apps on Flipper right now. So it's, it's quite a new quite a new market. But um, people don't really realise you can actually do that. You can actually transfer an app. Between between owners, um, 
So it's a relatively new market, so I can't really say what the valuation techniques are right now, but, I, but they are probably around traffic, uh, sorry, downloads, and also if it is monetized through advertising or in-game purchases, then you can use a similar sort of multiple. Interesting. So have you seen, like, uh, you know, you're saying the app space is really new, and I, I can envision that being huge, you know, selling apps and things like that. So, you know, what's, do you have an example of one really interesting app that was sold on Flippa recently? Yeah, I mean, I've got dozens. And one of the things that's, that's funny about the apps is they have these huge long names. Um, Princess Fairy Tale Castle Jump was something that came up for sale a few months ago. Uh, and even longer ones than that. And the reason they use that is because, um, because in, in the app store, I guess the more keywords you have in your name, the easier that's how the search works in the app store. So it's better to have these really long names with lots of keywords in. But, um, I guess some of the some of the interesting apps that have come up for sale are things like um, review sites, um, lots of review sites, um, lots of kind of games. So games is the most popular in, in terms of apps on Flipper, and they are typically monetized through advertising. Occasionally, they have in-app purchases. They're usually really simple games, similar to Angry Birds. I mean, they're fairly simple games monetized through advertising, and that seems to be what's selling quite well on Flipper. Um, it, it's quite easy to take these apps over and, and just add some, add a new advertising network, or or even add an app in-app purchase, or, or maybe um, it's a you, you change the model so it's pay per download. But um, yeah, games is is really what's selling on Flipper right now. Huh, interesting, cool. I have to check that out after. Um, you know, what are what are some top mistakes you see people making when they're trying to sell their websites? Yeah, I suppose it's trying to rush the process and not, not provide all the information. Um, the truth is always going to come out in the end. It's always going to, you're, if someone's going to buy your site, you need to declare everything. So how many hours does it take to run? There's no point not declaring that on the, on the description or um, where the traffic's from. It, it's easy to find out where the tra- traffic's from. So you may as well kind of declare, declare everything out in the open so, so the, the buyers can read through a description of, of exactly what they're getting. So I guess the most common mistake was is probably trying to rush through the, the description, trying to get it, um, yeah, not, not provide all the details because you're in a rush or whatever the reason may be. So it's worth just thinking through, right, how long does it take me to run this business? What are the services I use? Am I using a particular type of hosting? How much does that cost me a month? How many people do I employ freelancers? How many articles do I need a month? Just kind of going through before you actually start typing up your description, just make a list of, of all the um, all the operations, I suppose, that it's that the site's required um, to run it. And that's probably the most the most common mistake people make is not putting enough time and thought through the through the description of what they're selling. Okay. And obviously, you know, the better the description you have, the simpler you make it, the higher conversion rate you have, right? Absolutely. The better description you have, the more people will watch it. The more bids you'll get, and the more bids you get, the higher up the, the kind of search results you'll go in Flipper, and therefore even you'll incrementally get even more bids, and uh, which will lead to a higher sale, sales price. So Flipper works on an auction model, and really, <clears throat> the more bids you get, the better valuation you're going to get for your for your sale. So it's really important that you you get people watching, and there's an op- there's a function on Flipper to watch an auction or a seller. So more people watching leads to more bids and more activity and a higher price for you eventually. So it's worth kind of thinking through everything you're, you need to run the business and, and documenting it on the, on the sales description. Okay. And out of curiosity, you know, what's, what's the, the most a website has sold for on Flipper? 
Yeah, it's a good question. So we actually had our biggest sale about two months ago in June. We sold a site for one and a half million dollars. Wow. Um, we've actually, in the last six months, we've started focusing on, on um, website brokering as well. So we have a, an arm of, of Flipper called DealFlow. And uh, if you go to Flipper, you'll see a little tab called DealFlow. And they handle, we have, they're, they're brokers, so they do everything for you. If your site's worth over $20,000, you can use DealFlow and you'll be put in touch with a, with a broker and uh, they will write your description for you, they will value it for you, they will market it for you, they'll find buyers for you and so they handle the whole process for you. So that, that's the new service that we offer for, for the high end and, and that, that one and a half million dollar sale came through DealFlow. Okay, and what, what percentage do the, the brokers take? So we charge a 10% fee, so okay. that's pretty competitive in, a, in that space. So typically brokers charge from 125 up to 20%, so 10% wow. is really competitive. Wow. Um, but just to give you another example, um, the biggest domain, yeah, I think the biggest domain we've sold is uh, stockphoto.com, which nice. we sold on Flipper, and uh, that sold for $250,000. So we're in, in touch with a guy that's running the business now. He just bought the domain. He's launched a site on it. His name's John Yao. He's based in Perth here in Australia. Um, yeah, he's, he's having, a, having a great time launched this, launched this business. Uh, stock photos. He's got hundreds of thousands of stock photos on the site now, and he's, he's doing great. So, yeah, that's a good success story. Nice. Good domain. Cool. So, you know, obviously, you know, when you, you, you've transitioned over to gambling, you're doing, you know, you went to SitePoint, now you're doing, uh, you, you went to Flippa. So can you tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing uh, Flippa? Yeah, I guess aside from kind of putting the right people in the right roles, that, that's a learning curve. Um, so I've talked a bit about that already, but uh, that's, that is really important. I suppose, I suppose something else I'd talk about is investing in usability or UX. It's it's something that Flipper's really, really kind of struggled with in the past. I mean, one of the when we launched Flipper, it was the first of what we were doing. So any anything was better than nothing, right? So this is the first marketplace. So um, giving people a good experience in that sense, and that now they can transact. But um, as 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 time develops, it's really really important to invest more time in in the users, and it's something that I encourage all all the team to do is just really put their head. head in, inside the users' heads and, and try and understand how this is being perceived, how this blog post is being perceived, this new feature, this, this kind of email message, whatever it happens to be, just trying to put their heads inside the users' heads. And, and uh, it's something we really haven't done enough of until fairly recently. And, and hopefully you can see some changes over the last few months and certainly coming up, you'll see some, some major changes around the usability of the site, providing better information for buyers to do their homework, some of the stuff I've already talked about, providing kind of visual charts and tabular formats of data so you can easily scan and, and see what's happening on the site. Is this something I'm interested in buying? Um, all sorts of kind of usability features that we've introduced over time to make the site easier for buyers and sellers alike. Um, something we're going through right now is redesigning our sales process so when you list a site for sale on Flipper you go through a series of steps and input the information as you go through that's something that we're working on we're trying to improve constantly I guess that's our sales funnel so it's really important that we're, we're tweaking different parts of the funnel at different times so we spent a few months tweaking the home page and, and our wizard on the home page when you click get started it guides you through what, you, what you're interested in and, and, and what's available to buy and, and that, that's a really big usability feature. 
helps you find what you're looking for quicker. And that, that's really what the goal of Flipper is, to, to put the right sites in front of the right people at the right time. Got it. Okay, cool. And, you know, what's... So, what's... Yeah, usability, usability. Okay. So there's usability. You guys are doing email marketing right now, obviously. And then you guys, I assume SEO has to be pretty strong for you guys as well. Um, you know, what else are you guys, you know, I, I guess what's yeah. one, one interesting thing you guys are doing to grow the business today? Yeah, so some probably the most interesting outside the normal stuff um, that everyone's doing, SEO, PPC, and display marketing, and so on. We're um, we're investing more time in partnerships. So we um, we work with bloggers and uh, other kind of other names in the industries in which we operate, and, and to work with those guys to to publish the sales that we're making. So, for example, in terms of the main names, there's a blog called DN Journal, and they publish every week the top. The top hundred sales that have happened in the in the whole industry every week. So, so just being in touch with those guys so they know what's happening on Flipper. We send them there's a list of what we sold this week. Um, in 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 the website space, there, there's a few kind of few key names who have a presence in social media and, and forums and and blogs as well that we we work with to talk about um, their experience of buying and selling on Flipper. And and that's a tactic which. It may sound obvious, but it really works. I mean, these are real people who have had real experiences on Flipper, so their story counts for, for much more than our marketing messages. So they, they've had a great experience, so how can we help them tell their story? What information do they need to, to tell their story more frequently and in, in a better way? So do they need data from us? If so, yes, we can provide that. So, yeah, I guess I guess you would encapsulate it as brand ambassadors. That's, that's, that's something that's becoming more and more... Um, of a focus for us. Okay, great. So it sounds like a, it's almost like a, you, you talked about partnerships. It's more like also influencers as well. You're looking for those people and case studies type uh, things. Absolutely, and it's really important in the website space. As I say, we have a seventy percent market share. Really, in order to to grow, you really need to grow the whole market. It's really hard to grow from that position mm-hmm. uh, when there's a limited space left. So it's, it's important that we're trying to grow the whole market, which is about raising awareness. So, for example, we've recently partnered with Pat Flynn. So, um, nice. Smart, smart passive income. For, during August, we were we were running some some features in his podcast, AskPat.com, and, and those went pretty well. Um, th- those sorts of guys have have a reach beyond just the flipper audience, but they're all, but his audience is interested in what we're doing. They just don't know about it yet. Mm-hmm. So, so. Finding people like that to work with and partner with has become really important for us. Got it. Okay, cool. That's very helpful. Um, you know, what's what's one piece of advice if you can go back? You know, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your twenty-five-year-old self? Yeah, um, I guess focus focus on something that you're passionate about. It's easy to take a job or a role and that that that's paying well and uh, it's not really something that you have an interest in personally and, and, and you're never going to get the best out of yourself. The company's never going to get the best out of you if it's not something that you're passionate about, I think. So make sure you're doing something that's A, you're passionate about and B, that challenges you. So there's nothing worse. I, I hear the amount of people I interview, I hear a lot of stories and constantly hearing the story, I'm in this high-paid job but it's just so boring. I want to work for a startup or a business that I'm passionate about or interested in and, and challenged by. So challenged by is the one of the key facts and you may have read Daniel Pink's um, book about how, how, how it's really important to, to work in something you're challenged by and same for the people that work in your teams to make sure you're challenging them. You'll get the best out of people where they've, where they've got difficult problems to solve, right? They don't want to sit there all day kind of 
just with our brain half engaged. They want to be totally engaged in the problems that they're solving. That's, that's really going to get the best out of people. So do something you're passionate about. Do something you're challenged by. Um, the other thing I'd say is something I really uphold is about executing fast. Um, it, it's easy in a big company to kind of go with the flow. The bigger the company is, the more you can kind of just go move slowly with the company as it goes in different directions. But in a, in a small business, and this is a small business, Flipper, mm-hmm. um, it's really important to execute fast because someone will be hot on your tail if you're not executing fast. Someone will do that thing before you build that thing, launch that new business or marketplace or whatever it happens to be. You've got to get something out there and execute fast. Okay. Um, so th- that's one of the messages I'd give to my, my 25-year-old self. No, that's really helpful, and I can't agree with the you know the the executing part, the executing fast part, you know anymore. Um, the so next question, you know, what's what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Yeah, I guess um, I don't know whether this is considered a hack, but it's more it's more of a guiding principle. I'd I'd suggest, and it's something that I've recently learned from the founder of these businesses. He's 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 made this one of my kind of most memorable points, I guess. And it's dividing your time up into motion versus action. And I'm not sure whether you've come across this concept, mm-hmm. but it's, yep. it, sounds, it sounds pretty basic. But really what it means is make sure you're taking action more, that more of your time, more of your day than you are just going through the motion. So what I mean by that is you're actually, an action is that you're actually writing that blog post, writing that email, um, coding, building this feature, you're actually doing something. Motion is going through the motions. It's just planning, thinking about it, having a meeting. And, and really, you should be spending more of your time taking action rather than just going through the motions. And it sounds, once again, it sounds overly simplistic, but, but you'd be surprised if you actually divide up your day or your week and, and think about what have I actually actioned this week or next week? What am I actually going to action? How, how much of your time do you actually spend doing something productive rather than just thinking about or planning something which, albeit, needs to happen but really it doesn't actually count for anything until you execute it or you take action okay yeah i couldn't agree more with that you know motion a lot of people mistake motion for i mean yeah motion for action um final question from my side you know what's one must read book you'd recommend to the audience um probably going to sound a bit cliche but something that i give to all of my staff here is the delivering happiness the zappos book tony tony shay and and the reason i give it to all of my um, team here is because um, it has a few messages in there which, which resonate for any, any small or start-up start business and probably any business globally, in fact. But uh, one of those is about the importance of the customer and customer service in, in a company. So if you're a business selling a product and we, we provide a service, so we do have a customer service team and, and they're, they're interacting with the customers on a day-to-day basis. So their, their interactions will be remembered by the customers forevermore and, and they're, they're giving out the perception of what Flipper is on a day, daily basis with our customers. So they're almost our, our marketing channel. They're our number one marketing channel. It's extremely cost effective. They're talking to people on a day-to-day basis who then talk to their friends and family, hopefully, about the good experience they've had dealing with us. Um, so, so the role of, of customers, not, not just in marketing, but in every part of the business, I think it's really important that it comes out of that book. Um, I would like to raise a point on that question. It's, it's, you typically read a lot of 
lot of kind of entrepreneurs talking about the, the books they recommend. And yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a heap of books you can read, but there's there's also a concept of being book smart or street smart. So being book smart is you've read all, all the books, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can execute on kind of solve problems on the fly, which which you need need to to do in, in terms of a small business or the, in the startup space, you need to be street smart as, as book smart. So make sure your audience aren't just taking everything out of books and taking it at face value. You really need to iterate upon those and, and try and solve problems for yourself. And that's the way you're going to get ahead of your competitors is by doing things differently, differently to how it's, how it's said in the book, using that as an example, but then iterating upon that. Okay, got it. And, you know, you, you bring up another point, you know, you, you mentioned delivering happiness, you know, that's something you, you want everyone to understand customer service, you want everyone to have a, you know, you want to have a really great culture, but, you know, how do you hold people accountable to that standard of thinking? I, I guess there's, there's the easy way, which is measuring everything. So we, um, we have a, a rating system for every interaction with customers. And that, that's the easy way in terms of the people that are dealing with customers. Um, I guess it's less tangible when it comes to, for example, the developers. How, how do you how do you ensure they're thinking about the customers' happiness in every everything they're building? That's that's very difficult to, to measure, and it comes it comes down to the stuff they're releasing. Is it is it well received? What's the feedback on the stuff they're releasing? It's different for I guess the marketing staff. They have a different way of measuring it, um, and and. and yeah, I'm not sure whether you've come across this kind of net promoter score feedback, which is something that, uh, that we tend to use here to get feedback on products or, or services that we offer. That's a way of measuring things. But yeah, it's tangible in, in some areas and intangible in others. But you just, just generally get the gist through a number of these sources or metrics coming in from different channels, whether, whether things are going in the right direction, are customers happy or not. And the net promoter score is ultimately probably the the number one indicator of that. If you've got a good score across a number of transactions, then you're probably doing a good thing across the board. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, and for, for, for people that, uh, you know, you guys can obviously Google net promoter score, but, um, you know, SurveyMonkey has a really good net promoter score quiz or something like that, uh, or a survey that you can send to your customers. So that's something I highly recommend. But anyway, uh, Nick, Ken, you know, thanks so much for, for being on the show. Everyone, you know, go to Flippa, check it out, see what trends are, are, are popping up. It might give you a few ideas here and there, uh, but I highly recommend it. So thanks so much, Nick. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers.